Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast part of your day. I'm Madarius. And I'm Chris. Hope all of you are well and safe. And how are you, my man? I'm good, man. How you doing, bud? Good. You know, a lot of a lot of sports. So, you know, we got the uh, basketball going on. You got, you know, football. There's a lot of football talk, but we'll get into some interesting basketball stuff later. But we'll we'll lead off with with football. And if there's anything that, for those who are listening, doesn't know, or if you, you know, if you already know, I love the quarterback position. Because to me, it's the most important position in the field and probably the one of the most important positions in all the sports. And this week, we decided to cover the top five quarterbacks out of the AFC. And next week, we'll go top five quarterbacks in the NFC. And that list is going to be probably a lot more trickier because of one particular player. But we'll get to that when it comes. But so, Chris, I'll let you lead off. Who do you have in your top five in AFC quarterbacks? So for my top five, this yeah, because there there I got one. We'll, we'll call him like a like a hinge pin because we really don't know where he's going to go. Um, and we'll we'll cover him here in a second. But of course, number one, I think is a unanimous decision, and that is Patrick Mahomes. Uh, um, Back-to-back Super Bowls, won one, lost one. Um, day in and day out performance. He's just an outright stud on the field. Uh, he's a classy athlete outside of the field in the locker room. But while he's on the field, he has absolute command and presence. He knows how to read defenses. He knows how to uh, essentially assess the situation at hand. And if, if it's a bad call coming from the box up top, he can make the change there or run it as is. But also, you know, he's a very unique player and is just his mobility and just yeah, just how agile he is. He's almost he's almost like a like a snake back there because just when you think you got him tackled, he slithers loose and uh, and, and makes a makes uh, a mountain out of a molehill. You know, um, with his little sidearm passes, with his dump offs, or even with his feet, he can get out there and scramble when he needs to. So I think unanimously, I think in the AFC, I don't think there's anybody close to him. Uh, coming in at number two, I think is Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think he's, you know, I, I make a, a, a rough case against um, Zach Wilson, who was recently drafted by the Jets, about these teams coming from no-name universities and no-name conferences, and they play essentially minor league ball, uh, you know, in college, because they're not really playing a lot of. And I think that uh, Josh Allen is the break of the mold that came from a smaller school that just has, has come out and proved dominance in the AFC. Um, you know, I mean, for the while, I, I, I think we can agree. He didn't play in the easiest conference when Tom Brady was at the Patriots. Um, but, you know, even now the Miami Dolphins are up and coming. The Jets, you know, might not have the best offense. But defensively, I think year in and year out, they've been one of the strongest in the league. Um, and Josh Allen continuously plays them, you know, uh, year in and out. And then also all the out-of-conference games. I think he's proved himself against uh, some incredibly dominant teams. And I think that he's got a lot of great years ahead of him. Uh, and third, I've got... Uh, Ryan Tannehill. I think that technically, I think Ryan Tannehill has the tools to be a successful quarterback. Uh, I think we talked about it last week or the, maybe the week before. 
that I think the deep ball, I think he's got the best deep ball in the NFL. But the problem is, is he's never really had anybody to throw it to up until recently with all the trades and acquisitions uh, of this offseason. And then also predominantly, they've been a run first organization um, just because Derrick Henry is the human non-Marvel version of the Hulk that can just run through anybody and everything at this point in his life. So they've really never needed him to, to go out and throw deep. And then also, let's face it, he hasn't had the the best receiving core uh, in the NFL. So I think that that has played a, a time into it. But I believe he's a very intelligent, smart quarterback. And I think he proved that once he got out of the clutches of Adam Gase because – uh, you know, when when Tannehill came into the NFL, he came in with high hopes. He got drafted by the Dolphins, and then it went to hell in a handbasket, I think, fairly quickly due to uh, the curse of Adam Gase. And I think we'll see a very similar function here with Sam Darnold going on to the Carolina Panthers. I think we'll see him blossom. But with uh, back to Tannehill at, at the number three spot, I think that he... Uh, He's got everything he needs as a quarterback. I think it's just a point now of the team surrounding him is getting to where he's at. Because I, I think sometimes that might be an issue. You, you always have a special player that might get trapped. Subpar organization or maybe an organization that just doesn't have good office management to where they're not putting the, the players around that they may need. And I think the Titans are kind of coming around today, especially with the acquisition of Julio Jones. I think that's going to be a very dangerous tool for uh, uh, for Tannehill. Uh, number four, I've got Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, I would put him higher, but I think we even talked about it. He has a hard time in big games. Um, I don't know if it's if it's play calling in the box, if it's play calling on the field, or maybe him just trying to put the entire game on his back and and run for 500 yards every single uh, single game. So I think that might be an issue. Um, he's got the tools. He's got the talent. Uh, I mean, he's definitely a an elite quarterback. But as far as you know, uh, I, I still think that the quarterbacks I've named above are uh, better suited for the situ- you know for for their positions where compared to him. Uh, and then last but not least, I gotta. I, th- this is what we were talking about: the hinge pin player. Um, if he stays in the AFC, and this would be Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans. Um, or hell, even if he plays this season uh, at the rate he's going with the media, they're they're not doing him any favors. Um, I, I've got him at the number five position again. I think it's a circumstantial. He's a great athlete. He he makes good throws. He also makes some very poor decision, but he's still an incredible athlete. And I think his athletic is what can keep him in a top level position. Um, but again, like I said, the issue of it all is you know, A, where is he going to end up this season if he if he does get traded? And then B, with Houston really just having nobody left to throw to, I think that's a, a declining position uh, for him. Now, on the flip side of this coin at the number five position, I think it might shock some people. Um, if, if with the situation, so if we pretend that Deshaun Watson gets traded today and he goes to the NFC, I've got a very strong case for Baker Mayfield being the fifth best quarterback in the AFC um, he's just played in dog awful situations and somehow finds a way. Now, granted, it's a team sport. His defense has helped him. Um, and then he has a slew of targets to throw at. He's got a great running back core. Um, but I think is about to elevate. I think last season was the first stage of evolution for him coming from 
uh, a young adult into a adult player, if that makes sense. He's going, he's changing himself psychologically, uh, uh, emotionally, and then on the field. He's starting to think instead of act. And I, I think you and I have hit that a million times with uh, with a quarterback position. It's more of a cerebral position than a physical position. You have to know and understand the game uh, in order to be successful. And I think Baker Mayfield knows and understands the game, but I think he's his ego would get in the way of him, and he wanted to prove that he's the best. He's the best rookie. And I think after everybody doubting him and everybody doubting Cleveland, it was he has all the gain and nothing to lose. It's like people already don't like me. People don't think I'm a good player. All I can do is go out and change their mind now. And I think this season we started to see that change about halfway through that instead of it being me, it was we, if 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 I'm making sense on that. And uh, I think we'll see definitely, uh, you know, a lot of great years come out of Baker Mayfield. He's still incredibly young, and he's got an incredibly talented team around him. And, you know, dare I say it, we might even see Cleveland make the playoffs here sometime soon in the AFC. But that's my top five. Well, you know, here's the thing, Chris. You know, you and I, Chris, our lists aren't that far apart, and usually we don't usually agree on a lot of stuff, you know, in terms of, like, quarterbacks. But, listen, the first two, you know, I, I, I'm big on Patrick Mahomes. I think, like you said, Chris, I think that's pretty unanimous to those who, 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 who watch football. I think, you know, he has a chance. If When we get into the conversation of the next great quarterback, I don't know if you agree with this, Chris, but I think we can put Patrick Mahomes fairly on that list, especially if he gets to another Super Bowl. Because if you think about this, Chris, he's he he's been in the AFC Championship game or Super Bowl the last what two three years. So a lot of that has to do with Patrick Mahomes. And number two, Josh Allen. And here's the thing, Chris. I don't know if you agree with me. The gap between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is not super wide. I don't know if you'll agree with that or not. Um, but I mean, I, because well, I'll, I'll explain. Oh yeah, think, uh, let me hear your theory. Okay. Now, when we talk about you know who's the better quarterback, you know, in terms of like career right now, yes, Mahomes. But with Josh Allen, it's the it's the upside. I think that, and I think I've talked about this is that. Especially when we did our, you know, predicting games, you know, we pre- our game prediction will come later on down the road. I said Josh Allen had to take that next step, and I think he did, because, like you say, sometimes we we can't factor in the school because they don't control who you play. But how do you play against the schools? And Josh Allen was kind of like the big fish in the small pond at Wyoming. But but going back to my theory is, is that I think that when you look at the construct of Buffalo's team, they're probably the next team that could contend with with Kansas City long term. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. I mean, they have both offense and defense. Yeah, I mean, like long term, when you look at like there's a gap because listen, what separates Kansas City from Buffalo is a it's a possibly the receiving core like Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. I would lean because of the age toward Stephon Diggs. That's not knocking Tyreek Hill, but defensively, I would lean definitely toward Buffalo because it's the head coach, the you know defensive-minded coach. But 
I think the gap is going to get closer. I'm, am, am I saying it could be the next rivalry? We could see like Brady Manning. Absolutely. Because I think they're built for long-term success. So that's why I have at number two, one and two. Number three, I put Lamar Jackson three. And and I've said on this show, and I think you and I have had a discussion about Lamar Jackson. And I think, Chris, we have to look at, when we talk about Lamar Jackson, how we define the position. Because is Lamar Jackson going to be a guy who's going to throw 4,000 yards in a season? No. Now, does that mean he's not a great quarterback? No, it doesn't. It means, Chris, is that we have to get out of the mindset of how we look at the quarterbacks. Because everybody, like I say, back in the day, you had guys like Dan Marino and Jim Kelly, they could sling 4,000 yards because that they were the typical quarterback, even Peyton Manning, Tom yeah. Brady. So if you put it into modern context, Lamar Jackson's a guy, and I get what you're saying that maybe big games doesn't show up, but Lamar Jackson does things that not a lot of, you know, he, like I said, he's like Michael Vick, but better, significantly better. Because the, the knock, and I love Michael Vick, I'm a, you know, Falcon guy for life. But the biggest knock I had on Michael Vick was accuracy. Like, he would sling the ball in there, and he just either wasn't accurate or the receivers just didn't have great hands. I'll, I'll let, you know, people decide that. But with Lamar Jackson, I think this year you're going to see the offense open more because, Chris, I think it's become obvious that, hey, he, can, he he's essentially a second or third running back in the backfield. And defenses, oh, smart defenses – know that smart teams know that so and you know i think they may went out and got receiver help they still got mark andrews at tight end i i think he has to take the leap passing i mean he has to throw the ball he has to at least get three thousand passing yards maybe because if if he can throw for three thousand yards chris and they rush what for over two thousand yards last year chris this offense and plus we look at how the defense is this this team I mean, if Lamar gets over that hump, this is a Super Bowl team. It's oh, just absolutely. If Lamar can just throw the ball, and I think, but like I said, he doesn't have to sling it, you know, Brady Manning type, but he has to improve in the passing there. N- number four, I got Derek Carr from the Raiders. And, oh. And here's why. Derek Carr is the guy that gets overlooked a lot because of the team. And listen, for those who know, listen, I'm not the biggest John Gruden fan. I'm not going to go. I promise you, I'm not going to go on a John Gruden rant again. Uh, that was once in, uh, once in a My doctor said I can't go any more Gruden rants. So, because the blood pressure was through the roof. But I think he gets lost in the shuffle, Chris, because of, of where he plays. I don't, I think we're forgetting that, listen, they were trying to move, John Gruden was trying to move Derek Carr like it was Derek Carr's fault. No. I've always said the biggest knock on John Gruden was developing quarterbacks. And because if you go look at Tampa, he won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. I'm not knocking Brad Johnson. Let's be clear, not knocking Brad Johnson. But show me, even at Tampa, show me an example of where he molded a quarterback to be successful. Because when he was with, when he was with uh, the Raiders when they were in Oakland, Chris, he had Rich Gannon. He had the MVP year. He was a veteran at that point. Like, he had a younger, he had like Derek Carr there, and given the right tutelage, could have molded him to be like an all pro, to be a perennial pro bowler. But 
Derek Carr is doing good with what's around him. Meaning that, like, going out and drafting uh, Henry Ruggs, going out, and I think last year they got Nelson Aguilar. Like, like Chris, who they don't have a true number one receiver. And Derek Carr put up great numbers last year. So, to me, that's why I have him four. And number five, Chris, I have Baker Mayfield. And and I know and I know it may shock people, but I have Baker Mayfield there. And because I mean, essentially, I mean the only the only one we really swapped out was uh, uh, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and 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 and, and, I'll, and I'll and I'll explain the Tannehill why I kind of have him on the cusp there in a minute. But with Baker, listen, I know I've been hard on Cleveland. Listen, I know it, but surprisingly, Chris. People in Ohio listen to the show. I, I'm like, I look at the numbers. I'm like, well, you know, shout out to those in Ohio because because the thing is, Chris, when I talk about Baker, I come from a place of I want him to succeed. He was the number one overall pick, Chris. I want him to succeed. And and what he's doing right now in Cleveland and Cleveland could listen. They're they're no longer a laughing stock. They're no longer laughing stock. And I think with Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield has involved. He's he's becoming Cleveland, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, no. You you get players that involved an organization. Uh, uh, you know, Marino did it with the Dolphins. Uh, Elway did it with the the Broncos. Jordan did it with the Bulls. Kobe did it with uh, L.A. You know, Patrick Ewing did it with the Knicks. You get these players that kind of. Uh, become the city it's almost like they're like the savior of the city they're like like a athletic sport team version of batman that's there trying to to right the wrongs of the city and bring in some glory and i i definitely feel like that baker mayfield is the closest to it out of all the cleveland sports you know lebron's gone he you you know wherever a championship can be won lebron's gonna do it he's not gonna do it for cleveland he did it once. I'll give him that. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's, he's a trophy chaser. Let's face it. Okay. Um, well, okay, I'll, I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish, yeah, Senator. I'll let yeah. You, you, you know, I can go on a LeBron rant all day long. Uh, that the, I know. The Indians. Uh, I mean, we'll just we'll just say that. Just ah. Uh, uh, so I, yeah, I, I definitely think Baker Mayfield is is going to become the athletic face of of Cleveland, and I think, like I said in my in my little spiel, that he's only going to get better. Yeah, the thing is, he's the best quarterback Cleveland's had since Bernie Kosar. Because Bernie Kosar was different because he was from there. He was from Cleveland. Even though he went to school, you know, in Miami, he he was from Ohio. And with Baker, Baker's just the personality. Here's here's how he fits, Chris. Uh he Cleveland has has been the laughing stock. They felt they haven't been respected. And Baker, to be clear, Baker started his career at Texas Tech. He was a walk-on, Chris. He was a yep. walk-on. Yeah. And it's, he was a walk-on. He didn't get a scholarship. He was a walk-on. He And if it clicked. And that's why I said, boy, if Baker can figure it out, this this team can be great. So I have him at five. And just to give my few uh, honorable mentions, I have Tannehill on the outside simply because – I believe that, listen, we talked about the long ball, I believe, last week. We talked about how how great he is, his arm. My thing is, Chris, 
will the Titans throw the – I think they'll throw the ball more because now you have Julio on one side, you got A.J. Brown on the other. And you still have that guy named Derrick Henry. I think people have heard of who he is. So, so I think people. I don't. I don't have to dig in too deep and explain who Derrick Henry is. But my curiosity is how this offense is going to look, because if Ryan, if they throw the ball more, it's just like it's just like what I described with Baltimore. Is that if they throw the ball more? Because when you have a run game, Chris, you don't you don't have to throw the ball all that much because hey if you can pound the rock 30 35 times a game you know go for it but but so so that's who i also have on the outside there and i also have justin herbert kind of simmering on the outside too so i think justin herbert is he going to be good yes i do but listen, we just can't base it off of you know one year because listen, to me, a rookie having a good year is like a band having one good song. It could be a one-hit wonder, and we like the Baja Mint. Baja Mint, who lit the who lit the dogs? That was a great song, Chris. <laughs> but can we name a second Baja Mint song? <laughs> we can't. We can't. Like the Macarena. Can we name a second? Like I think I forgot who's. I think Lost Del Rio made that. Can we name a second hit by Lost Del Rio? So that's kind of the mindset I have is that I know Justin Herbert has going to be great. Like last year, you can't be fooled. They just lost a lot of a lot of blown. To use a baseball term, a lot of blown saves last year. They just couldn't finish. They just couldn't finish games when it, you know down the stretch. So that's who I have in my honorable mentions. And and speaking of honorable, you know, honorable mentions, but I think more importantly, I think of. Like, just we got to start honoring this dude more if we talk about basketball. Something we don't talk about a lot on this show. But I I think, Chris, I have to talk about how great Kevin Durant was. Because here's the thing about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is a guy that, to me, he's the best scorer in the world. Meaning that he can score from anywhere on the court, perimeter. He can score in the paint. He's that good. And I think what you saw in the playoffs, and especially now they're going to lean on him more, especially with James Harden not being maybe at 60-70% and you know, in this, you know, in the series against the Bucks. So, and I don't know, Chris, like I don't know if you saw any of the I don't know if you saw the game or, you know. Oh, it was it was immaculate. What it reminded me of is I think it was the last or second to last championship that Kobe won, he had a pretty good surrounding cast around him. KD does right now. I mean, if, if, if you look at, you know, the roster that they have, you know, you got KD, you got James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, uh, DeAndre Jordan. Like, you got some big, solid names on a, on a front five. And even on, and then you know you got you got players on the bench that are just as good. Um, but I mean, you look at the numbers he put up: forty nine points, seventeen rebounds, ten assists. I mean, a triple double in in a in a a crucial game five uh, performance that that they were they were behind if if memory serves me right uh, during that game. I think it was like a seventeen point deficit that they overcame. And it just it reminded me of Kobe is that 
it, sometimes a player has to just take charge and do it himself. Um, even though basketball is a team sport, sometimes you got to rely on that one person that has the momentum. Maybe it's just they're having one of those nights that they can't miss a shot or they're grabbing every rebound. And the thing is, is that when you've got, and it's like you said, Katie is so versatile. He's big, but he could shoot out of the, you know, outside uh, uh, and knock threes down. He's agile. So he can get in the paint, slither around and get in there. And the the thing that I appreciate most about him is that he plays, you know, on both sides of the ball. He just doesn't, there are certain players on certain teams that wear purple and gold that are no longer in the playoffs that slack on defense, in my opinion. And KD is not one of them. He's, he's given you a full, a, a full game front to back, back to front. Um, and I think that I think he understood at that point, he had to take control of the game if, if they were going to make it out of game five. Um, and then, you know, knocking the triple double with three steals and two blocks. I mean, you, you can't honestly ask for a better game. Um, and I, I definitely think that it, you know, it's it's going to be a great time because then we've got the game seven uh, tomorrow night uh, at eight thirty, which I think is that against the Bucks. And it's it's like you said, he, I I think he's one of the most under recognized players in the league. But also, you got to look what the league has. It had you know D Wade, it had LeBron, it had Steph Curry. You know. Uh, there there's just so much talent that I think he just almost got overlooked, even though how great he is. And I think part of that is he, you know, he was on Oklahoma and it just didn't really go anywhere. He got, you know, traded out to uh, golden state, got himself a ring. And then that was just kind of like, Oh, you know, that's just a power move, you know, to get another superstar on, on golden state squad. And then he, you know, he came to, uh, to Brooklyn and granted, I mean, they've got James Harden, they got Kyrie Irving, and they got Blake Griffin. That's definitely a very ferocious team right there. But I, I, I almost feel like this could be Durant's team. Like when he was in Oklahoma, I feel like it was Westbrook's. When he was in uh, Golden State, it was definitely Steph Curry's team. I, I feel like he's kind of slowly rising and taking charge of of the Nets organization and kind of laying stake that, Hey, you know, I'm going to take this, you know, I'll put the organization on my back and I'll, and I'll take them somewheres, but hell of a game though. Yeah. And, 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 and to go back to your point about LeBron, you know, LeBron's, I don't think LeBron necessarily slacked defensively. I just think that it just boiled down to, they ran across a buzzsaw in, in the Phoenix Suns. And which we'll transition to in a minute. But to go back to your point on Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is the guy now. I think when you look at Kyrie and Harden and you look at, I think this is KD's team. I think that because remember, they kind of went, they, they pursued Kevin Durant when he was still hurt. Like that's important. Like remember, I don't know if you recall, when he got hurt yep. at Golden State with that, that Achilles injury. Yep. And like Brooklyn was like, okay, when he's healthy, like, you know, Brooklyn had a down year the year before. But the thing is, Chris, is, is that they knew when he was healthy that he could easily be the best player on the planet, and he's proven that. But since I kind of threw in Phoenix earlier, Chris, I know you want to talk about Chris Paul. I have my thoughts on it. And it's going to kind of circum- It's going to kind of connect some things. But, you know, 
Chris Paul's not there with the, the COVID. He's in COVID protocol. And mind you, the Suns are already in the Western Conference Finals. They're just waiting on, is it going to be the Clippers or the Jazz? They're waiting at, you know, at home waiting. But, but I know you want to talk about Chris Paul, and I'll give my thoughts on the back end. You know, I just, I feel like he's the most unluckiest player in NBA history. Oh, well, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll like, I would say third unluckiest. I think the most unluckiest player in NBA history is definitely Penny Hardaway. And, and I think Grant Hill would come in a solid second place just due to their injuries. But, you know, just when you think Chris Ball might finally get himself a ring, it's just like, bam, something else happens. Bam. You know, and I mean, he has just gone out and just played his heart out. And he doesn't have a lot of time left. I mean, he's 36 years old for basketball. That's that's getting up there in age. Um, but, I mean, just the way that they swept Denver. I mean, that was that was rough to watch. If if, if you were a Nuggets fan, that was a, that was a rough series to watch for you. Um, you know, but you know, with the COVID protocol, I, I was reading some stories about it saying that he is, um, that he said he is vaccinated. So that will, uh, I guess speed up the, I guess the quote recovery time or the time that he can get back in, into the locker room and onto the court. Um, so like I said, I don't know if any of that's confirmed, but if he did get the, the COVID vaccination, I guess he should have been safe from COVID, but that's a whole other horse i can beat dead on another day I'll, I'll i'll save my vaccination rant for another time um but yeah i just i, I feel bad for cp3 every every time you, you feel like greatness is in his vision something just gets swept out from under him and uh, i mean the guy this you know, he goes out there he'll give you a full game every day all all 80 games a year and he just it's just if it's not one thing it's another with him i feel bad for him i hope he can uh Definitely make it through. They said if push comes to shove, he'll probably just miss game one of uh, the conference finals and then be ready for the rest of the uh, rest of the season. So hopefully, you know, speedy recovery if he is sick or maybe it was just a false positive or whatever might be going on there. Hopefully he gets it squared away. And, you know, I'm going to say this, Chris, because the the thing is, I think when you look at the Phoenix Suns, if. If Chris Paul was out, let's just let's just throw a hypothetical. Because I read a report where he could just miss maybe the first two games of the Western Conference Finals. Now let's just let's put this in hypothetical sense here. I still believe, Chris, that if when whenever Chris Paul comes back, if that series, whoever they play, whether it's the Clippers or the Jazz, if that series can be one one or they can be two oh, they're going to the NBA. I still believe they're going to the NBA Finals because when you look at the way they're constructed, like at Devin Booker, when you look at DeAndre Ayton, you look at the way and look at Monty Williams, a great coach. This is this team is, is worthy of the NBA Finals. It's not like where like the year the Raptors won, where or you know people got hurt and people could say, well, maybe they didn't deserve that championship. And listen, I don't want to get the people of Canada coming at me because they're right above us. So I don't want to I don't want to anger them, but. It feels as though that this Suns team is good enough to go to the NBA Finals. And with Chris Paul, the one thing, Chris Paul to me is the equivalent of what Chris Paul is to basketball, Chris, is what Bill Parcells is to the NFL. Let me explain the analogy. Everywhere that Parcells went, the team got better the year he got there. They were better than the year before. 
Like, if you look at the – like, this Suns team, Chris, just last year, two years ago, Chris, they were they were one of the worst teams in the league. I, I honestly think that any time someone had something positive to say about the Suns was probably when Steve Nash played for him. And before that, you know, Charles Barkley. I mean, right. it was just, it yeah. was just one of those organizations that were just piss poor, that were just just terrible year after year. Yeah, and and then and they still had Devin Booker, but obviously, you know, in the NBA, you need at least another quality player, you know, to kind of make it work. And speaking, what, if I can jump in, speaking of Devin Booker, did you see what he did uh, with the with the with the the fight fan? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, for you guys that don't know this, so there there was an altercation between a Nuggets fan and a Phoenix Suns fan. And it got pretty ugly, and the Phoenix Suns fan administered a very healthy ass whooping to uh, to the Denver fan. Not only did he just just beat this guy senseless, he said "Suns and four, bitch." And uh, Devin Booker saw this and ended up buy gave him like an autographed jersey, you know, a Booker jersey, and then got him tickets to the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for whoever whoever they're playing in the conference finals, this 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 dude's got tickets. So I was like, that, that's that's impressive. I I got a good laugh out of that. And, and and the thing is, hey, he was right though. They won in four. So <laughs> that's what makes it even worse. Yeah, it's like he was right. You're like, like Nostradamus. Listen, people didn't believe him until hey, it happens. He he's basketball's Nostradamus. So you know, and and shifting back to Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul, everywhere he goes, if you look at his career when he was with, you know, we was in New Orleans, team got better. Clippers got better. Houston, better. OKC, better. He, he brings stability at a position that requires stability, the point guard position. You, you, you have to have your point guard to be the most stable player on the court. Your center, you know, your your guard, you know, your shooting guard, everybody else can kind of be on kilter, but the point guard is the glue. And if, and if you see altercations on the court and if Chris Paul's involved in the game, he's the first guy you see kind of to kind of break it up because he understands the bigger picture. And I think, like, I think that this year this is the best time for the Suns to win a championship because, listen, whoever wins that nets Buck series, like, listen, the Nets – it's not a sure thing they win game seven, but so like I say, with Chris Paul, I think he's going to be there. He's going to be healthy enough. But the biggest question mark that I do have is is when it comes to the Suns and it comes to the health is that our, can they can they make it in a position that when Chris Paul comes back, they're in a position that puts them where they can win. So. And speaking of winning, I, I just want to talk about two more basketball issues that come up, if you don't mind, Senator. Yeah. <laughs> Senator. And, and I want to talk about the situation in Dallas for the Mavericks, where Rick Carlisle stepped down. He said, you know, he voluntarily stepped down. GM, who's been there for over t- almost 25 years, is gone. Now, I want to be clear that, like, with Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic is is a star in the making. If he's he's won already, he's the face of the Dallas Mavericks. And if you look at the way he played, the way Dirk Nowitzki played, like the Dallas Mavericks kind of lucked out 
because they were able to get two great talents. And now, but the difference is that with Dirk, Chris, think about it. Dirk has been there a 20-year career, only won one championship. Like, when you look at those years that were potentially wasted, maybe squandered in that regard, but they don't want to do this with Luka. And if you're Mark Cuban, like, do you want to move on? You got to move on from one player, and that's Porzingis, because he's injured, and but he's got a lot of money. Who, who, who did that? The the previous regime did that. The previous regime did that, and that's why he's gone. So, Luca's gonna sign. Luca's gonna sign a, a big contract, a two hundred million dollar contract. He's gonna sign it. But the question is, is, is can they build around Luca? So, so secondly, so secondly, can they? So, so can they figure that out there? And, and secondly, the situation. I don't know if you saw going on in New Orleans. With Zion, you know, with Zion Williamson talking about he wants out, his family wants him out. And and Chris, I'm just gonna say this. For a long time, Chris, a lot of people didn't know Kevin Garnett. Why? Not because he's not talented, it's because of the market. Like Minnesota, like we guys don't understand, Chris. Minnesota basketball, when KD got there, was still young because they were an expansion franchise. And But when Kevin Garnett, all of a sudden, he left Minnesota, he goes to Boston, and people realize he was great. I'm like, well, he was great in Minnesota. He just didn't suck from the time he left Minnesota to Boston. Maybe he was, he, was he older? Yes. But the fact of the matter is, Chris, is that I think there's a similar situation that's going on with Zion. Is is that you? You don't want to waste your best years in a city that's not passionate about basketball. Because because here's the thing: if you look at New Orleans, Chris, it's a football town. Yeah, it's it's the same thing I I say about about a college, about certain schools. It's like why is it harder for certain schools to win than others? Well, I'll give you an example. Look at Vanderbilt and the SEC. Why is it hard for Vanderbilt to win in the same and and why and Tennessee? Why is it hard to win? Well, Chris, if you look at Vanderbilt, look at their academic standards. And I'm not knocking academics. I'm not saying you have to be dumb to be. I'm not trying to promote that. But what I'm saying is that standards matter. And and you look at Stanford. I think Stanford, given their high academic standards, they're they're a very good football program, especially when Jim Harbaugh came and then they transitioned to David Shaw. And in the NBA, there are just certain markets, Chris, where you're just not going to get recognized. Yeah, I, you know, at number one of the, with the Timberwolves, maybe you get fans in Wisconsin, but even then, they've got the Milwaukee Bucks. And then you've got the Detroit Pistons up there, you know, in that that tri-state area. The 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 Minnesota Timberwolves fans aren't going out other way to be a Timberwolves fan. Exactly. People will go out of their way if they're not from Boston. 
I know a ton of people that are not from Boston that will will suck the fart out of the Patriots and the Celtics ass and the Red Sox. And vice versa for New York, people that have never even stepped foot in the Bronx or Manhattan or in the Meadowlands. Well, maybe not so much the Meadowlands. I don't know anyone besides me that's actually a willing Jets fan at this point in my life. Um, but you get a lot of people that will, are Knicks fans and Yankees fans and Mets fans or, or Clippers and Lakers, and they probably have never even crossed the Mississippi River. Um, you get these big market programs, you're 100% right. That's where you get, you know, uh, KG. Now, if you knew basketball, you knew who KG was pre-Boston. And then, of course, when he became the big three in Boston, that it just, you know, all hell broke loose from there. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't blame this guy for wanting to get out of New Orleans. New Orleans, like you said, it's a football town. It's it, it's a football town for college and for, for pro because – LSU is, you know, a 50-minute drive or so up the road in the Baton Rouge. Uh, you know, and then you got the Saints. They're just not equipped for uh, a successful basketball team. And, and, you know, and I think part of it, too, is, um, you know, like the Orlando Magic. I mean, as much as, you know, as much as we want to root for them, they just don't have a big following because, you know, you got the Miami Heat, who have been a successful franchise. And well, then also the Orlando Magic, you know, office is just terrible and they've run that team to the ground. That's another discussion for another day. But yeah, hopefully this dude gets out of New Orleans, gets into a big program. Uh, you know, he gets into a team that, you know, where he can flourish, maybe win a, a, a title. I think that's every player's dream and, uh, you know, get out. But unfortunately, you got to do your time in some of these uh, uh, lower level, lower marketed organizations like the wolves or uh the bucks or in this case the pelicans yeah and and i want to touch on the magic chris because what you said about the magic is what i've been saying chris for pretty much almost 20 years is is that look what the magic have had talent wise and let it walk out of the door yeah or, or better yet i'll put it this way fail to maximize their talent before they go somewhere else. And it's another example of Orlando, New Orleans. Like, the teams that are bad in the NBA, Chris, is for one of two reasons. It's either A, the market, B, it's just they just don't have the talent. And, and that's applicable for any sport, but for, what, for teams in the NBA, like, there's too much talent dispersed around the league and look at the Orlando Magic now. Is there promise in the future? Sure, but I've heard that story before. And and one of the biggest rants, I think I went on the rant on this show some time ago or a while back, I talked about how they handled the whole Dwight Howard situation. Was that when Dwight Howard started acting like, you know, Dwight Howard, get him out of town. He doesn't yep. want to be there. Because, Chris, at that point, he was an all-defensive. He was an all-star. Chris, you could have got a gamut. You could have got the gamut for for Dwight Howard. But what did they do? We'll try to fix him. No, some people just don't want to be fixed. All right? He he was the type of kid who was showing out to deliberately go to the principal's office. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to get out of there. But yet, what did Magic Management do? We'll make it work. Let's put his arm around Stan Van Gundy. And I'm like... I went on Twitter and Twitter said, oh, well, there's different management. I'm like, no, it's not. It's the same. Listen, yeah. Are the people different? Sure. But the, the management structure is the same. It's like you hire these people and you're like, look, 
either listen when you want some somebody wants to, especially a superstar they don't want to be there listen orlando is great you go to disney or i'm not knocking orlando because i'm literally about a, a, an hour or so away but in terms of a market anybody are there fans outside of the orlando area that's the question because you far in between it's like you're you you can spot a knicks fan a lakers fan yankees fan anywhere in the country but you, if, but you, Chris, you can go across the pond, and I guarantee you there are more Laker fans there than there's probably Magic fans, you know, outside of Orlando. Oh, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, what were the when the Magic peaked? Was well, they were still a young franchise? They didn't listen when Shaq wanted to go. I felt that instead of trying to, you know, he wanted big money, and listen, he went to the Lakers because the Lakers had big money. And at the time, the Magic didn't have big money. Exactly. They were still a young, I don't want to say volatile in terms of, you know, the fiscal situation. But I said you should have traded them and you could have got something for them. I I do believe that. But but speaking of, you know, trading things and and moving things out, I was going to wrap up with, you know, with, you know, wrestling. Something that we also don't talk about a lot, but we will. We're, this is a show where we're talking about things we don't talk about. It's that it's, it's going to be that type of show for a while. Expansion. But I want to talk about WWE, the pay-per-view. Hell in a Cell is going to be this Sunday. And I just want to give quick predictions, if you don't mind, Chris. Yeah, so please go ahead, man. Quick, quick predictions. Like, the matches that, you, that I'm going to be here, the card may change. There may be a match that may be added. Because there initially supposed to be a Hell in a Cell match between Roman Reigns and Rey Mysterio. That's going to be on Friday Night SmackDown, which I will be watching. Because I think the last time a Hell in a Cell match was on a non-Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, I believe it was like 90... I want to say it's been over 20 years. I'll put it that way. But you have Alexa Bliss versus Shayna Baszler. I, I think with the match, I don't think they know what to do with Shayna Baszler. I don't, so I give it to Alexa Bliss. And like when you look at the Raw Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley defending against Charlotte Flair, I tell people you're going to see a theme. And I hope I hope the, the listeners will pick up on it. Rhea's going to Rhea Ripley's going to retain for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair versus Bailey. Now this match to me, I'm going to go with Bianca Belair, but I'm going to be curious to see if they put the belt on Bailey because we got to understand SummerSlam is going to be in August. It's going to be the first, pay, you know, it's going to be a pay-per-view the first time held in the state. It's going to be held at, it's going to be held in Vegas. Oh. So it's going to be held at the Allegiant Stadium, the Raiders Stadium. So do you, who do you want to put the belt on essentially in front of, a, who, because who, essentially, Chris, for, you know, for those non-wrestling fans, a pay-per-view like Hell in a Cell is building up to SummerSlam, the next big of the big four pay-per-views. So you had WrestleMania recently. And then now SummerSlam's kind of falling in line. So I think they'll retain with Bianca. But the question is, if Bianca Belair beats Bailey, then who's next? That's the question. And to me, the WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre, it's going to be Hell in a Cell match. And, and, and I'm going I'm to say this. I think we've seen this match a lot. I think the fact that I think Lashley retains because this is my whole theory, Chris. 
I'll get I'll get to the theory in a minute, but let me run down another potential match could be we could see Apollo crew Apollo versus Kevin Owens or Big E or a possible triple threat match that I think Apollo will retain. But I want to go back to the Bobby Lashley theory because I because it kind of ties in with with UFC in a way because you know Bobby Lashley did a kind you know some of that. But I think if for SummerSlam if Lashley does beat Drew McIntyre for the fifteen thousandth time. Because we've seen the match, it's not like it's not it's just like in, when you see rivalries, it's like like you see it over again. It's like at some point you're like, okay, we get it. But in in this case, I think you got to change the direction. I think that if Bobby Lashley retains, to me, Chris, there's only one guy out here walking planet Earth who Bobby Lashley has to face, and I think demand to see. And that, to me, is the beast incarnate Brock Lesnar. Oh. That's my belief because Brock Lesnar, people say, oh, see, this, is, this is what I love about wrestling fans, Chris. It's is that people say, oh, Brock Lesnar's a part-timer. But now people are like, oh, we kind of need Brock Lesnar. Yeah, yeah. Listen, are you, would you, if, if, if someone cut you a check to show up, give, uh, cut you a nice seven, eight-figure check, to you know, to show up to a couple of pay per views a year. Yeah, you bet your sweet ass I'll be there. Right. So essentially, people are like, oh, he's not a full time guy. Well, why should he? Because I'm like, listen, I was one of those guys that said, listen, yeah, is is we got to get out of the mindset of how we look at wrestling and be like, look, you get the brick like Ronda, the whole Ronda Rousey before you know with Ronda Rousey, people knocked Ronda Rousey. Well, she didn't go full, but she did do a full schedule. When she didn't have to. That's the key, Chris. She didn't have to. And and I said, here we are now, Chris. I think full circle, I want to see Lashley. I want to see Lesnar because they both have, you know, kind of that UFC, they have that combat style experience. And they're just two big behemoths. And I think because, A, Chris, it's going to bring in money. It's going to bring in money. Because whether people like, is what I always say, Chris, you don't like, you don't have to like the person personally. But understand when it comes to business, how great they are. Vince McMahon knows it's money. We as fans will money. Because now, because those who don't have the W Network on Peacock, they're going to pay to get Peacock to watch it. Oh, absolutely. They're going to get like, oh, if you wanted a vested interest, like, well, guess what? You can't watch it anywhere else. Because in the U- in the States, you have to watch it on Peacock. Outside of here, you have to watch it on the WWE Network. Money to see. So, so, like I say, to wrap up the whole wrestling thing, I just feel that this pay-per-view is setting up kind of the SummerSlams in August. August is it's not going to say it's not exactly. we got like a month of, so two, almost two months away, but it's set, it's setting up things for SummerSlam, and we should get a clearer picture of who the contenders are because I just don't see anybody dropping their belt at, at this pay per view. Because the Hell in a Cell in the past, I would have said, yeah, I could see a couple of title changes, but I, I don't. So, but the one match that I would be interested to see how. They handle it is the Bianca Belair Bailey match because that to me, I, 
you know, I'll just go into a little quick soapbox rant. I think the way that they've done the promoting of Bianca Belair, maybe not the best, and it's not Bianca's fault. It's not anybody's fault. And, and that's another thing I want to say to wrestling fans. Stop blaming talent when they don't run the show. Period. Because you, 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 there's other people in the show who you could blame. Don't always blame the talent. Blame who the talent has to answer to. So, so that's my, my wrestling rant. And I don't know if, Chris, you had a little rant to go on before I go into the, the, the wrap-up phase of the show. You know, no, man, honestly, uh, you know, I mean, he definitely hit, like I said, I, you, it's kind of the polar opposite. I covered the UFC and you do uh, the, the pro wrestling. Uh, the only thing I really wanted to touch on is, uh, I don't know if people saw it, but uh, the Yankees uh, last night turned a wicked triple play, and those are few and far in between. Um, ended up turning a triple play and winning the game. And even though they're looking pretty terrible, there's, there's still some hope this season. Uh, that's honestly the only thing. If you didn't, if you didn't get a chance, it's all over sports center and it, Twitters and Instagrams and, uh, Facebook. It, it, if you're a baseball fan, regardless, if you're a, a Yankees, a Red Sox, a Marlins, a Giants, Cubs, whoever, watching a team turn a triple play is just as good as watching, a a pitcher throw a no hitter. So if if you haven't checked it out, please do. It's all over the internet. Do your thing. Other than that, that's all I got, man. Yeah. And by the way, that AL that AL least, listen. Everybody outside of Baltimore, listen. Like I'll just say this: if, when you look at that division, like I'll I'll admit it, I didn't think Boston was going to be great this year. I really did. I, I really didn't think – I thought Boston was going to kind of hang around the cellar. I, I thought this division was going to come down to the Rays and the Yankees because of the basis of – I think the Rays is one of those franchises that, once again, we talked about earlier, they don't get enough, you know, talk, you know love because they're in a, the market they're in. Yeah. And I think when you look at how, you know, the, the manager, Kevin Cash, and that team is doing – like, look, like Randy Arizona, you got Mike Zanino. There, there's talent there. And hopefully we'll see how it works out there in the – out there, you know, long term. And probably next week we'll probably do some little baseball predictions. We'll, we'll, we'll see from there. But until then, remember to like – remember to like this – like and follow the podcast. Listen to this episode and every episode on wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, wherever you get your podcast, and check us out on social media at Sports the World on both Twitter and Instagram. Check out our Facebook page where we have where we have our chats and have discussions there. Sports wise, check me out on social media at Ladares underscore Brown on Twitter and at Ladares double underscore Brown on Instagram. Check out Chris at, at it's Christogram on Instagram. You did that in person with a tongue twister because you knew I had to say it. That's. I think, listen, that's a 9.5. I think I landed it. The point five at the end. Uh, stuck I'll, stuck I'll, to landing. Yeah, I, I got there. I mean, at worst, we're, we're in goal contention. So, and until you hear us again next time, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, and be safe from all of us here from the Sports and the World Podcast. See you.